Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're in chambers this week, clearing the docket. And with me, as always, is level 10 magic user, <laughs> Judge John Hodgman. I'm not 100% sure if that's a good level or a bad Privy level. Privy the mine bailiff, noteth you the garb I adorn mine self with today? I doth note thine garb. <laughs> What are we doing? It's just a sweatshirt. It's a sweatshirt. <laughs> it, it's, it is. It's it's a sweatshirt from the the uh, no longer existing Cape Cod Coliseum, a hockey, a hockey arena in Cape Cod. So I'm kind of like extinct hockey ren fair. Yeah, but I'm talking funny, of course, because today is our much threatened Dungeons and Dragons slash role playing games dispute only episode of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And Jesse, you know, my experience with Dungeons and Dragons is minimal, very minimal. Mm-hmm. So we decided to bring in what you call in the D&D game, a ringer. Yeah. Huzzah, the ringer. I mean, John, I have a lot of Dungeons and Dragons experience. What's your D&D X? What are your X points? I used to have a game called The Secret of the Silver Blades for my mom's IBM PC with a CGA monitor. Um, bringing back some different but similar memories of Damon Graff's mom's digital equipment uh, computer that we had to call into to play um, Zork 1. I have read between the ages of 8 and 12 in the aisles of various used bookstores in San Francisco's Mission District, including but not limited to aardvark books and dog-eared books. Yeah. I read probably 8 to 10 Dragonlance novels, which are Dungeons and Dragons novels. Right. I don't remember anything about them. Um, and my babysitter Darius de Belgadere uh, was really into was actually Dungeons an elf. and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> was actually a ninth le- level elven cleric. He's just a guy with a lot of dice. But sometimes oh, I'm sorry. He would I'm bring sorry. Don't, dice don't write letters. I forgot. Elves don't have last names. I apologize. <laughs> Who's to say Darius de Belgadere wasn't his uh, first name? Yeah, that, the whole thing was his first name. Okay, great. Or their first name. It's a nice man, Darius. Hey, but let us bring in uh, the ringer. Huzzah, the ringer. Griffin McElroy from the Adventure Zone. My brother, my brother, and me, and all the McElroy family of podcasts. Uh, you all have some experience with role-playing games, do you not, sir? Really just D&D, which is, I think, what is, like, the cool kind of, like, sexy person's, like, uh, RPG. So all the stuff you all were talking about, what, with your Silver Blades, I was hearing that and just, like, it's hard not to e-wedgy you when I hear you talk that way. Because <laughs> I'm over here just listeners playing. at home, that's electronic wedgie. Electronic wedgie. It's an electronic wedgie. We, I, I sent you both uh, a special apparatus that I have control over from from my studio. <laughs> I get, you got me. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, but yep. but that was an adjustment, John. It looked like you were uh, you were you were sagging a little bit, and you yes, were about you. to. It, they were about to fall, and that's a, also a service I provide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am only wearing a an extinct hockey sweatshirt, but I am wearing Motley Fool underwear. Yeah. It's got little bells on it. Mm-hmm. Every time you give me a wedgie, uh, you will be able to hear the bells a jingling on my Motley underwear. Right, Jennifer Marmer? Right, Valerie Moffat, who are also in the room? That's right. That's right. That's right. It's not a sound effect. Go ahead. Give it a try. Give, give, give me a little, give me a number two on the on the e-wedgeometer. Uh, okay. This is, uh, I mean, you might not even feel a number two, but here, here we well, go. Then, <laughs> 
<laughs> you could hear those bells. I know you could. Uh, thank you so much for being here. You know what my experience with D&D is, was? What's that, John? What's that? I was a young, a young person in Brookline, Massachusetts, and all the cool kids were playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I had played a few campaigns. I believe John Guazda DM'd a campaign. But of course, I don't want to be a player of anything. I want to run the game. I want to be the dungeon master. So I told my parents, I'm taking my monster manual and my DM guide and my fiend folio, my favorite one. I'm going to be going up into my room this weekend in complete seclusion, and I shall emerge a dungeon master. And I truly believed that through sincere monastic study in 48 hours, I would understand what the God or whatever all this math was. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around the math. I was like, I'm all for being in a fantasy world, pretending that I, that I have power and don't feel <laughs> terrible all the time. But I don't know why I need to roll all these dice to do it. Griffin, as a precocious youngest sibling of three, sure, I don't think you could ever understand to or relate to the extent to which John and my only child nerdery involves going in your room by yourself. Uh, <laughs> like, ultimately, the conflict between us and Dungeons and Dragons is not one of cultural positioning or uh, anything like that. It's really just that our all of our nerd expressions involved uh, going off to be by ourselves. Solitude. Complete yeah. Yeah, solitude. I, I don't think I had my own room until Justin left for college. So that was uh, that what you are describing sounds like a uh, somewhat alien a, tr- a tremendous luxury, honestly. Um, yes. Yeah. It involves uh, hanging out and reading Secret of the Silver Blades novels. Right, exactly. My experience and love of fantasy was only the first part of The Hobbit before Gandalf showed up. When Bilbo Baggins just had breakfast, was sitting outside his big round door, a lonely bachelor smoking his pipe weed and no adventures whatsoever. I was like, this is my fantasy. And then this wizard shows up and makes him go to a mountain. Forget it. No thanks. Yes. You you get 13 nearly identical names sort of rattled off at you. And it's like, how am I supposed to keep Bofer and Bifer straight in my head? And also, it's hard to read also the name Bofer without saying these nuts at the end of it. Um, even, as a, even as a child. Yeah, it's yeah. just reality. Also, I was warded off from um, Dungeons and Dragons by the classic chick tract known as Dark Dungeons, uh, which <laughs> let me know that if I did engage in Dungeons and Dragons, it was technically witchcraft and i would be sort of um uh, brought into the illuminati and yeah. would burn in hell forever you would lose sense of your own self and you would become a servant of, of satan right uh, what they call the mazes and monsters effect if you play too much dungeons and dragons tom hanks goes into the steam tunnels underneath his college and is never seen again <laughs> i've also learned that they recently made a film adaptation of the chick track dark dungeons and i am going to be cert- yes apparently and i will be finding this movie this evening and uh, cannot wait to to dive in. Griffin, before you started the Adventure Zone, which is mm. the podcast where you, uh, your siblings, and your dad uh, play role playing games together. Yes, particularly but not exclusively Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, how expert were you in the form? Not at all. Uh, I had played a couple games. Uh, I had never run one, certainly. Mm. Um, but I, I was, uh, I was very curious. I didn't get into to D and D until I was, uh, you know, in my in my early twenties when mm. everybody had jobs and stuff, and so it was hard to uh, 
you know, get a group of people together for an evening to sit around and do math and funny voices. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so, so yes, I had very limited success, but then a new edition of D&D came out and I wanted to play with my family and uh, Justin and Sydney were expecting their, their first child. And so we had some, uh, you know, a, a break coming up that we needed to fill with content. And luckily uh, the stars aligned and the Adventure Zone became that content. And you would run these games, or you have run these games, as the game master, the dungeon master. What is that? For those who do not know, that's a, that, that takes work. It's not just knowing the math, but you have to be a storyteller as well. Explain. Yeah, there's quite a bit of prep work that goes into it. Uh, depending on what kind of DM you are, uh, the, the level of prep work varies. There's some people who just like have a starting prompt and then see where it goes from there. Uh, and we do a little bit more prep than that for the show because uh you can have a boring D session when you're playing it at home but when you are doing it for a podcast right um you know you lose the ratings um and uh you know the, those those nielsen reports are they mean everything to us that's why that's why they say uh you can dance like no one's watching right but if you're playing D, pretend you're doing a podcast yeah they say that i have that on several quilts um, just as to help me remember my yeah. my place in life. Can I ask you a sincere question, Griffin? This is something that I'm actually don't know, and I'm interested to know. Yes, please. When people play Dungeons and Dragons together, you know, at their local, you know, game store or uh, at a friend's house in the basement or or wherever, just a casual social get together. It is important that it is a subterranean room. It yeah. cannot be if you're if <laughs> you're playing in a, if if it is a city like uh, New Orleans or something that is already sort of below sea level. There's some flexibility there, but otherwise, you do need to be below ground. I only play penthouse based games, so yes, sure. <laughs> only when surrounded by plate glass windows am I able to really enjoy myself. Yeah, yeah that's what that's when you play chess against uh, by mail, and the chess pieces are all made of glass. Yeah, and, and you're wearing a velvet tuxedo and drinking a brandy. That's the stuff. <laughs> Yeah. But no, D&D is best played in a cistern for sure. So when when everybody gets together in that cistern, mm -hmm. do people all do people do voices the whole time? Not uh, in my experience, not most people, uh, especially if you're playing with friends who are not. Now, that said, I have grown up pretty much exclusively being surrounded by uh, what what community could be considered theater performers, the community theater performers. And so there is like a, like a, that level of. Um, what, if, what if you grow up a, 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 amidst a, a, a pack of siblings, all of whom are very smart, very performative and crave to steal the attention from the other one? Um, yeah, I mean, Would yeah, you, do you a can funny voice then you can expect a few, a voice here or there. Uh, yeah, but you should also anticipate being upstaged by your dad. Yeah. Who is oh. not going to do a voice. Uh, he's just going to be louder than everyone else, which <laughs> is a choice. It's a choice that works too. I have a genuine question too, Jesse, by the way, I caught that shade you threw at me. Like I was asking insincere questions. No, I, that was, I just question. did I just didn't want anyone to think that I genuinely didn't know the answer to that question. I wasn't trying to be weird or judgmental about people doing funny voices. Okay, I, I was you. just curious. Yeah. People should do funny voices if they want. It's fantastic. But I don't know what this, I was prompted here, Jennifer Marmer, our producer, perhaps it was Valerie Moffat, our editor, put into the, the notes here, into the, into the briefing, rule of cool. I don't know what that is. What is the rule of cool? 
That is a uh, more of an ethos for DMs, uh, where if a player has an idea of something they want their character to do that doesn't necessarily fit into the framework of the Dungeons and Dragons rules, right? Um, which are you know pretty pretty well codified at, at this point, and at this point, uh, yeah. always up to uh, occasionally up to interpretation. You go with the interpretation that makes a more cool moment happen. So if somebody has an idea and it's like, oh yeah, that would be neat. Let's, let's try and make that happen. Uh, right. But there are some DMs who say, well, no, that's not, that's against the rules. So no. For Adventure Zone, we rely on that pretty heavily uh, because it can get kind of dry otherwise. Yeah, play by the rule of cool. Of course, there are maps, but at the edges of the maps in the uncharted territory, there, there be monsters and monsters be cool. Now, I think that that rule should be sort of integrated into most professional sports, where if right. somebody mm-hmm. throws, for instance, in the game of football, American, American, American style football, football yeah. um, if the quarterback does throw to the wide receiver who catches it, I think the wide receiver should then be able to throw to a second further down wide receiver, not lateral or backwards, but just a whole nother pass altogether. I think that would make the sport a whole lot more enjoyable. Uh, basketball, if they don't feel like dribbling and then they get a good dunk at the end of it, let it let it ride. If it's cool, let it ride. If it looks cool, let it ride. Here's another sincere question I have. Did you guys know that there's a Dungeons and Dragons of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Because I definitely had that when I was in middle school. I did not know that. An RPG, a role-playing game of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah, a lot of people would think that it would be based on the TV show, but that's because they're not cool enough to know about the comic book, which is what it was actually based on, which is why it was so cool to have Mm. a Dungeons and Dragons of being a rabbit that does karate. I have a memory of of an RPG that was introduced right after Dungeons and Dragons came out based on a very terrifying animated film that is not for children and book called Watership Down. And the RPG was called Burrows and Bunnies. And to this moment. Watership Down. Yeah. To this moment. RPG. To this, and yeah, you, you, choo- you, choose, you choose what Warren you belong to. You choose if you have magic forecasting of, of, of rabbit genocide like Fiverr did in Watership Down or whether you're just a warrior rabbit like Bigwig, a.k.a. Flaley. By the way, that's not his last name. I guess, okay. I guess, John, I was too busy playing the Velveteen Rabbit RBG. <laughs> Saddest one of them all. A heartbreaker. <laughs> tears every time. But listen, to this moment, I have no idea whether that is an invented memory. Maybe that was a game that John Wolfe tried to design. That's a friend of mine, John Wolfe, who I played D&D with. Or maybe it really existed. My finger hovers over the return key on my uh, search engine search. Let's find out. Yeah, it was a real game. <laughs> wow. Good. Yeah. Inspired by the 1972 novel Watership Down, published by Fantasy Games Unlimited in 1976, Burrows and Bunnies, the fantasy world of intelligent rabbits. That rules. Okay. I've got a new podcast for coming up, too, by the way, Griffin. You're not the only one with an would, RPG podcast. John, it would slay. It, it would, slay, would right? absolutely slay. The world's ready. But I don't know whether I can run it. Maybe Do your maybe. bunny voice now for me. <laughs> do the voice of your bunny character now. Well, I'd me? have to. I'd have to do my imitation of John Hurt. Okay, do that. What is it, Fiverr? You see blood across the field. That's sometimes I can That's get into good. A John Hurt mode. <laughs> he, had, John Hurt, had this incredible. I mean, it's just an English accent, but also this like this like. It was like he was talking through a bag of sand. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> John Hurt as Hazel. I'm ready to dispense justice. How about you guys? <laughs> I suppose. Sure. So. Here's a case from Jeremy. 
I'm the dungeon master for a party of D&D players. We just finished a campaign set in this world's version of Hell, Avernus. While in Hell, one of my party members attempted the spell Heat Metal to attempt to superheat the metal of one of the, quote, infernal war machines, Mm. end quote. Mm. I ruled infernal steel was not susceptible to this spell as it and the denizens of hell are immune to fire damage. Please rule A, I am the DM and my party member needs to deal with it. And B, see request A. <laughs> what is a Vernus, Griffin? Uh, uh, I only recognize the name from a series of uh, uh, video games that I believe oh. must have spawned off of this. Uh, John Madden football. It was called NHL 96. Uh, and... <laughs> Bulls versus Blazers in the NBA playoffs. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it, it is what it, they said. It is hell. Mm-hmm. It, is, uh, gotcha. it is one of, it is one of several hells. One uh, of the fresh hells. And it's one of the, I think, one of the uh, outer hells. So it's not like the worst hell you can be in, but it's still like hell. So you don't right. want to, you don't want to go there. Right. Um, I don't, I've never, uh, how does it compare to the underdark? Is that something else? I think the underdark is just like a place where, where folks live, uh, by choice, not heed, listener. We shall delve into the underdark later in this episode. But anyway, Avernus is hell. Yes. And the heat metal spell. I mean, what's, what's this all about? If you're a mage or whatever. You it's a pretty early, yeah, it's a pretty early thing. You use it on a, a, you know, you might use it on someone's armor and then all of a sudden they, have, you know, they got to get that armor off because now it's, it's now hot, there's hot. a sort of like a, you know, nipular discomfort <laughs> that must be. Sure. And that's why actually a lot of breastplates that you see, like the George Clooney Batman breastplate, you see the right. elevated nipples. That's actually to provide a sort of buffer in case right. the armor is heated to uh, a, an uncomfortable degree. Yeah, no, of course. The heat metal spell is essentially to a magic user as putting a bunch of matches into someone's shoe and then lighting it on fire in a baseball bullpen is to a relief pitcher. Precisely. And I, I'm i glad you said it because one of us <laughs> needed to. Yeah. Um, it's hot. It's hotting up the metal. It's not making it molten. Or is it? No, I... And I honestly can't believe we've spent this long discussing what the heat well, metal why, spell here's why, accomplishes. Here's why, here's why I was, I'm so interested in it. Because unless you can melt that metal, I think this spell is dumb. I'm putting this on my list of dumb mm. spells. Well, tell that to Kevin McAllister, who uh, accomplished <laughs> quite a bit with the heat metal spell uh-huh. that he did on yeah. the doorknob. That was essentially the first shot across the bow. Of the Sticky Bandits. That, of course, was in uh, the the smash hit escapade film, uh, Denizens of Hell and Their Infernal War Machines. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> no, those infernal war machines. I think the debate here is whoever devised these war machines to defend hell would almost certainly create them out of some sort of... They wouldn't create them to be dis- melted by hell, just... Tr- just radiant heat right. that you just sort of experience when you are in it would the be outer like head. pretty hot proof metal or it's metal that's so hot it doesn't matter that it's hot if it gets a little hotter unless unless these war machines were not built in hell but are in fact subject to the punishment of hell in which case 
Maybe they are not. Maybe they are there to be slowly melted by the by the heat. You mean hell? Hell is buying armaments from the surface world because they can't make them themselves because they're they're melting too fast. Or alternatively, these war machines died on Earth, and then their spirits or programming right. or whatever was sent to hell, uh, and and so they're of course their forms would be uncomfortable there. Well, th- this, of course, is the quoth unquoth fun of Dungeons and Dragons. There's a lot of wiggle room for the dungeon master to decide if you were the running this game, if you were the DM in this situation, and and I, Jonas Hodgmanis, cast heat metal upon the infernal machine, would you agree with uh, with Jeremy's DM that it wouldn't do anything, or would you melt that thing? Well, it would d- depend which of my players is the one who did it. Um, because, it, for oh. instance, if it was my uh, father, I like to rib him by making his choices all turn out to be like pretty um, uh, d- foolish and um, ha- having unintended consequences. In my book, this is a fun unintended consequences yeah. opportunity than it is uh, for a, 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 a traditional success or failure. Um, maybe the hot metal... Uh, turns off the, you know, heat-seeking combat radar or right. whatever. You know, I don't know how how techy I, your I think, would your, you, th- I mean, I, my instinct is, having just learned the rule of cool for the very first time in my 50-year-old mm-hmm. life, it's more cool if there is an unintended consequence and the story is difficult rather than easy. And Yes. Like Maybe that's it, a, it overclocks. Yeah, that's a good plot point. It's like, I cast heat metal. Too bad, you you dope. It's already hot down there. This doesn't make a difference. That's fun. Griffin, I like that all of your ideas sound like they're from a role-playing game based on the movie War Games. Uh, you know, I like to fold in all kinds of uh, all kinds of inspiration. In the my punch mind, cards light on fire. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's hold on. There's there's a dial-up connection, and it's going to. You have to concentrate on it. Before I make a final ruling, Griffin, does the DM have the right to interpret this any way they want to? Of course. Then of course. Jeremy, Jeremy, the DM is correct. Yes. Yeah. Right. There's because there's also a chance we did not address this. I'm all for the rule of cool, but this could also be, could be a, 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 a real um, a real stinker of a player. And oh, at the end a of the day, a rule of stool. At, <laughs> at the end of the day, you can't jump into the ocean and then cast create water to drown a whale. So, yeah, Classic and that's an old—that's actually an old Yiddish proverb uh, <laughs> that I. <laughs> well, I agree, Jeremy. You are correct, and I rule in your favor. You're the DM, and the party member needs to deal with it. And B, you're the DM, and the party member needs to deal with it. Here's something from Brandon C. My dungeon master, Zach, has ruled that player characters cannot use spells or attacks against each other other than actions that would help the other person, i.e. healing someone. I believe it's most true to reality that people sometimes hurt their friends and that this can lead to really interesting storylines for the group. I ask the court to rule that our fantasy D&D game reflects reality in this way and allow me to read the minds of my friends and force my friends to sleep. Not maliciously, but because their character is losing it while we play. Hmm. Can you force another player's character to sleep? Can you cast spells upon each other or only outward? Because in D&D, you travel with a party and you're supposedly working together, not undermining each other and causing them to go to sleep against their will. 
What is your reaction? This is true. However, there are many, many, many spells that do not uh, do not differentiate between friend or foe. And sometimes you have to deal with the if you try to set a big room on fire that everyone is standing in, everyone's going to have to roll the save against that bad boy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, stop. Roll a save. What, what, is, what are you talking about? Roll save. Uh, it, tr- traditionally, if you are about to be uh, subject to uh, some ill effect, you have an opportunity to stave it off, whether oh. it is with a, a, a dexterous dodge or just the, you know, your own sort of supple constitution, uh, you, you have an opportunity to not have the bad thing happen. But to that's you. in the in-game world. In our world, what you're doing is you roll a die or some dice. You roll a, tw- a 20-sided dice. A 20-sided um, die. Yeah. Uh, and then is, and you get above or below, like you have to hit a certain point in order to yes, not freeze, we are, to not, not catch on fire in this case. And we are describing pretty much the sole mechanic of Dungeons and Dragons uh, it, with, with small variations at this I, point. I yes. also love those dice. I wanted to roll those dice so much. They were so tactily pleasing and weird. And the, the what's the one that's like a pyramid? Is that a, a, oh, a four-sided? Oh, four, yeah. D4. Delicious. Ooh, so whoever invented those dice was, was uh, truly on some extremely mind-altering drugs. They had a spell cast on them, let me say. You're describing a pyramid, so I, that I'm might actually be true. Yeah, um, no, I know. Yeah, for sure. The person who woke up and said, maybe a maybe a die has 20 sides. <laughs> that that person that person had, had 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 been touched by a certain kind of magic, let me put it that way. But I, I still it still was it was still was all math. He still like I loved rolling the right. dice and like counting the numbers, you know. That's the way it goes, I guess. It's a little weird to me with the dice that they know how to make them glow in the dark or be sparkly, and some of them don't glow in the dark or aren't sparkly. Sure. I have one that's covered in Swarovski crystals, and it's the <laughs> only one I use now. Um, that's the one you can use in a penthouse. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That's a penthouse die. Maybe there is an instance where you do need your party members to go to sleep. Maybe everyone's just had uh, a bunch of candy. Yeah. And watch a scary movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't have a candy headache all night and... and and wake up uh, unfresh for the next day's adventure. Got to get some, get your Z's. I have had evenings where I have prayed for the inter- intervention of some mysterious warlock to come into my house <laughs> and charm me to in, charm me into my bed, but in a fully platonic and sort of um, medical way. What if your, I mean, what if your party member is a fighter and her armor is too cold? You know what mm. I mean? It's too chilly. Yeah. There's a spell I know. I just learned about it. Heat metal. That would yeah. be helpful. Yeah, I would say be careful with it. Of course. There are limits. You have to be careful with heat metal, heating of anything. Magic is a powerful tool. Sure is. It it can be used as a weapon. Please be careful, everyone. I would say that intra-party conflict is a a sauce and not a soup. And there there are many players who are misanthropic enough to make it the main course just by, hey, and then my guy... Kills your guy and steals all the stuff. And fortunately, those players can be uninvited from the, unless it's somebody's, uh, you know, spouse or partner. And then you get into all kinds of dynamics that we don't have time to to dive into here. But people have people have seen season eight of Real Housewives of New Jersey. Exactly. So they Thank know you. about that. <laughs> you can get disinvited from. The yes. Island. Right. OK. I agree with Griffin once again. 
the rules are mutable, strange, and and flexible in this world. That is the the pleasure of the game. Intention of the cast sleep spell is as important as the cast sleep spell itself. So if you're not doing it maliciously, I think it's absolutely fine. I would say if if I were running the game, it's fine by me. And what if you what if a party member uh, is a, a is a warrior wearing a suit of armor and her suit of armor is too cold? Guess what? I just learned of a spell you can use to hot it right up. Heat metal. Or you could also just get a blanket. Get a you blanket. You use a blanket. Yeah. Blankets are made weave? of metal, Griffin. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. What about uh, is there is there a weave blanky spell? Conjure blanky. <laughs> I cast weave blanky. <laughs> I think that most people would preserve their spell slots for a more sort of, uh, you know, it's a, more of a round round peg square hole. I cast well, Conjure Binky. What's your favorite spell? If I could Whether just, if you could just have one? Yeah, if you had a spell, aside from, aside from remotely e-wedging me. Sure. Which, as you will remember, sounds like this. Please go ahead, Griffin. Hit me with a nine. Oh, a nine! You're are, a nine no, would tear you in half. No, okay, so a seven. Give me a seven. It's still okay. Here I go. <laughs> you're gonna yeah. wanna. You're gonna wanna take like have a salt bath uh, after this. Uh, no I already to, had one planned. I already have okay, one good. Uh, if I could do one spell, it would be prestidigitation, which is a, a minor cantrip. It's like a spell that babies learn, uh, and it has the most random assortment of effects. Uh, you can create an instantaneous harmless sensory effect, such as a shower of sparks, a puff of wind, faint musical notes, or an odd odor. You can light or snuff a candle. You can clean or soil an object. You can chill, warm, <laughs> or flavor up to one cubic foot of non-living material. You can make a color, a small mark, or a symbol appear, or you create a non-magical trinket or illusory image you can fit in your hand. It's like, a that's s- a lot of things you can do with one spell. You but a even, solid 20% yeah. of those are just being gross. Yes, the foul odor, which uh, is, I think, the only version of Prestidigitation that has appeared on the yeah. uh, Adventure Zone podcast. Yeah, it's the one spell that's sold at Jack's Joke and Novelty Shop. Yeah. Uh, that, no, that, that no longer exists in Boston, but on a dimension of its own. You buy it on a scroll at Spencer's Gifts. Yeah, you can produce a fake dog <laughs> poop for your friends. Right. Yeah. I tried to buy it at Lids, and they didn't have it. Let's take a quick break to hear from this week's partners. We'll be back with more cases on the docket on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun. .org/join The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A U R A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, 
And it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up, seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step-by-step, day-by-day, bird-by-bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're talking about Dungeons and Dragons disputes this week with our guest Griffin McElroy, host of Maximum Fun's Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcast, The Adventure Zone. No false play podcasts for us. Here's something from Brandon All the world e. shall be your enemy, prince with a thousand enemies. And whenever they catch you, they will kill you. But first they must catch you, digger, listener, runner, prince with swift warning. Be cunning and full of tricks, and your people shall never be destroyed. I recognize that impression. Yeah. That's Morris Day from Under a Cherry Moon, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Prince, <laughs> it is a, I, Morris Day of a, Morris Day and the Time. Very Jerome, bringeth my mirror. <laughs> Here's something from Brandon E. As a CPA by trade and a dungeon master by hobby, I tried to introduce the idea of taxation into my D&D game. <laughs> First of all, I'm annoyed that it's a CPA by trade and a DM by hobby. I'd like to reverse them. <laughs> yeah. DM by trade and a CPA by hobby. I'd like to mix those, mix the letters up and just see what fun words I can spell. <laughs> <laughs> Mac ad. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> I don't think wow. I put in the P though. Mm. All five of my players nearly killed me out of character at Whoa. the thought of taxing the gold they had earned. 
They immediately came up with ways to commit tax fraud against my fantasy government and devised plans to capture any tax collectors I sent their way. Should taxation be an allowed mechanic in any D&D game? So out of character means in IRL, right? In real life? The the attempted murder occurred in real life, but the plans to prevent tax collectors from coming occurred within the fantasy realm. I hope that that is fantastical hyperbole. I mean, it's, you know, this crowd, pretty much everything we say is fantastical hyperbole. Right. But things can get heated in the game, like... Like metal. Like metal. (laughs) Like things, like things can get metal style hot. Yeah. Among real people when the game, there are real conflicts that arise. Sure. In real life. Yeah. Around stuff like this. You might join the Illuminati, um, you know, one of your friends might just wander into a cavern when their character dies. These are real dangers, and I would encourage everybody to speak to their pastor about them. Griffin, is there taxation in D anD? I mean, there can be anything in D anD. It's a, it's a, fa- right. it is a fantasy world. I would say, uh, I have never. Uh, I think I have read the whole Dungeon Master's Manual at this point. I do not remember getting to uh, a, a part that did discuss taxation or sort of any kind of sure uh uh bylaws <laughs> but you you encourage you encourage your uh, your players to start a Roth IRA pretty early on in the ga- in the campaign right yeah because the savings accounts if they put just a few of their you know silver coins that they got from beheading the ogre in that at level 1 by the right. time they reach level 10 they right. will be. They can retire basically. Oh, yeah, you know what spe- you know what spell is even better than prestidigitation, Griffin? Mm-hmm. The magic of compounding interest. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you got every dad will tell you at one point or another. They'll tell you about the magic of compounding interest. You you got to play what you know, right? Especially when you're running the game, you got to include stuff in there that you know about and you feel strongly about. And if taxes is that for you. That's a life I can't imagine living, but you do, and I think that's special. And so go ahead and put taxes in your game and then teach them how to get around this. You know what? Actually, it would be pretty sick to have a CPA friend that could just be like, oh, you want to save some money on taxes this year. Well, let me tell you the secret. Yeah. Kidnap tax assessors, I suppose. (laughs) What you need to do is, is open up a tavern to launder your doubloons or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I think you this run, could you be fun. Run your, you want to run your treasure loot through the through a, a front business, like a like a metal heater or something. I guess that would be called. <laughs> I guess that would be called. A, <laughs> what do you call that? A sword, uh, black fire. Well, yeah. uh, any fire I think can heat metal. Any uh, fire. Can, yeah. Why do you even need a spell? Put it away. Put that spell. Uh, open your spell slot for weave blanky. I think the heist genre has been done a lot in the fantasy space, but I have not read a sort of organized fraud plot in a in a in a fantasy world. And I wouldn't read that because it doesn't sound very fun to me. But it probably is to other like-minded uh, Dungeons and Dragons playing tax preparation professionals. So I needed some more information before I could make this ruling. And I reached out to Brandon this morning via electronic mail. And Brandon wrote back right away, I'm glad to say. Because what I wanted to know was, who was collecting these taxes and what services were they providing? Mm. And Brandon wrote back saying, the taxes were being paid 
to the city of Waterdeep. Oh, sure. Where the players had inherited and operated a gluten-free bakery. Now, you may know Waterdeep government is an oligarchy with one executive head open lord. It's not an entirely corrupt government, as the current open lord, Lady Silverhand, employed the party in future in profitable endeavors later in the campaign. The taxes were paying for city guard protection uh, and other municipal services such as horse dung, street shoveling, lighting of city street lanterns, sewer services, and public schooling of the city's wizard school. Valerie Moffat, I see you nodding your head along. Do you have some knowledge of, of, of Waterdeep? Yeah, so it's um, it's in the module Waterdeep Dragon Heist um, that does have a published rule system for collecting taxes and and stuff like that. Yeah, have you played this module? I haven't. No. no. One of my one of my friends has the source book, uh, and I'm meaning to to get it from him and, and run it at some point, but I haven't. I have last week. I did run a one shot for some friends where the plot hook was tax evasion. Oh. Hmm. Um, we did a, a bootlegging one shot where the kingdom had jacked up uh, excise taxes on alcohol and led to uh, a cottage industry of bootleggers and rum runners. And so I had the players take a ship out and find a, uh, a lost rum running ship and secure the cargo. If I had known that there were Dungeons & Dragons games based on the Burt Reynolds films White Lightning and Gator... Yep. <laughs> I would be at the hobby store right now. I would not have come into work today. Boy, oh boy. If there were some Elmore Leonard RPGs oh. or so, you know, like Rum Travis Punch. McGee RPGs. Oh, my goodness. I get, I'm, and I'm loving all these references. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Griffin, what do you, what do you say? Uh, it sounds to me like you agree with me that obviously the rules can include uh, the levy of taxation. And if it inspires your players to come up with imaginative ways to evade taxation, all the more fun. Absolutely. I think that that's a fun hook. I would, I would, I would love to explore uh, the, the sort of more rote economic side of things. Because uh, you got a lot to play with. Waterdeep is such a, a shady spot. Uh, you know, right. you got you got the masked lords, and any system that sort of favors a governmental anonymity like that is just like is just waiting to be exploited um, by the uh, the overexploited working class, which is what it sounds like your party is. And I also advocate for the uh, the abolition of uh, educational debt in Waterdeep. All student loans should be wiped out. Starting only at 10,000 gold coins, though. Let's not go crazy here. Yeah. Some people played by the rules and they blah, 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 blah. Don't play by the rules. There are no rules. That's what we're coming to understand about D&D. The rule is cool. You know what's cool? Eradicating student debt. <laughs> Here's something from Charlie. I run a campaign for teenagers in the school library where I work. The other day, one of them tried to cast the spell Animal Friendship. Which Looks like great, I got a new favorite spell. That's a great spell. <laughs> you have to, I have to, you have to get to level two before you can cast unlikely animal friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when that one wears off, oh god! Oh no! You don't want to be anywhere near it. <laughs> the alligator ate the bird. <laughs> I like casting a spell of animal professional collegiality. <laughs> you know, not too personal, but you get along and you get the work done together. The other day, one of them tried to cast the spell Animal Friendship on a hook horror. 
I explained to them oh. a hook horror is a monster, not an animal, so they couldn't do that. The rest of the session, of course, devolved into an argument about what an animal is. Later in the day, someone took a picture to the biology teacher who was cajoled into agreeing a hook horror is an animal. And I was thereby outwitted by teens. Those teens. Judge, I seek a higher ruling. There's only one office in the land that stands above biology teacher. (laughs) In your highly qualified opinion, does the hook horror appear to be an animal? If you rule against me as well, I will gladly let this teen have their creepy animal companion. But I think the hook horror is clearly no natural beast. Well, first of all, I'm not a biology teacher, so I am not so easily cajoled as apparently this one was. I will look at the evidence and make my decision fairly. First of all, what is a hook horror? (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a hook horror belongs to what is, I, I believe, to be a fairly wrong-headed category of, uh, of beings in Dungeons & Dragons called a monstrosity, which basically, if you are uh, an animal in Dungeons & Dragons, like yeah. a bear sure. or a bird- uh, a ra- Or a rabbit. That's another one. Uh, they would call you a, like a beast- or a creature, right? Uh-huh. Um, but if you have several animal body parts from different animals, now all of a sudden you're a monstrosity. And I think that's Wait bad. So, so there are beasts and there are monstrosities, but there are also monsters, right? Uh, I mean, no. Monstrosity is, a, is, is what you would classify as a monster. And again, these are taxonomies that exist for game mechanics purposes. Yeah, you okay. want to know if, it, if an enemy is undead so that you're... You know, clerics' spells will be especially effective. But a monstrosity them. specifically is is a, a, a chimera, a, a, a combo of different. Most animals. of the time, yes. A, a squid, a, a, a like a ro- like rogue taxonomy. Yes, a squid is a is a beast. A kraken is a monstrosity. That's because another thing. If it, if the if the animal gets too big. Sometimes it's just now you're a monster. Oh, now you're a I was going to say like as a, I mean I I always thought a kraken was just a big squid, but I thought maybe as a monstrosity it would be like. A squid body with an eagle head. Uh, that I think that would earn you the monstrosity, uh, the the monstrosity title as well. If you're a one-headed dog, congratulations, you're a beast. If you have multiple heads as a dog, Squeagle exists now in the D and D universe. I I doth deem it. Okay, it is deemed. It is so deemed. But you don't like monstrosities, why? I just don't like that if you give a you know. Wait wait if, wait if wait, you, wait wait. Hang on, hang on one second, Griffin. I'm sorry. We've talked a lot already. I still don't know what a hook horror is. It's got, I, I've never uh, dabbled in this particular uh, monstrosity. This, this particular monstrosity. Uh, I will say, despite all the things I have just said, uh, it does, I would say, earn the title. We're looking at a vulture sort of face with whiskers, uh, a, a torso that I could only describe as rippling with two big sort of bony hooks coming out. Uh, and uh, some sort of talons situation on the on the feet area and abs. Yeah, r- just ripped, ripped abs. It's humanoid, but it's got a vulture head and bony hooks for arms and ripped abs. And uh, I'm I'm looking it up right now, and the two facts that I found are it lives in the upper levels of the underdark. Good to know, and uh, they have a lifespan of about forty. They tend to be. They tend to die around 40 because they're susceptible to parasites and infections. Yeah. This is true. 
All right. Is it a is it an animal? Is it a beast? Can you can you cast uh, friendship with animals upon a hook horror? Well, let's start by discussing animal friendship because right. it is not a it is not this domestication sort of. It, first of all, it lasts for twenty four hours, and then you got to do it again, and they can wisdom save out of it. So it's like. Yeah, that's a that's a high stakes pet you've got Wait. there where every day you have to see, hey, are you still going to be my pet or are you going to try to embed your apparently disease ridden hooks into my into my supple <laughs> flesh? Uh, I, I love, uh, you know, You're I used saying- to have a cat that I had the same arrangement with and it did not work out that that relationship. You're saying that if I deem that a hook is an animal and you cast animal friendship upon this animal. The, the hook horror has an opportunity to save role against becoming your friend? Uh, y- yes. If it has a certain intelligence score over a let certain level. You, let me yeah. ask you a question. How's it going to roll a dice with its hooks? It's, it's big bony point, hooks. Good that's, point, a, that's a really good point. I'm just saying yeah. what, what it sounds like your player wants to cast is dominate monster. And that's an eighth, <laughs> that's an eighth level spell. So that's going to be a while before they can pull something like that off. I'll say right now, the thing that... I've enjoyed a lot about this podcast, but one of the things I enjoyed the most was when you Griffin said, what you want to cast is dominate monster and Valerie Moffat just nodding her head (laughs) so strongly that really spoke to you. Didn't it Val? Yep. Yeah. You'd have to be like level 15 or 16 to cast it. Yep. To cast dominate monster. And what do you get out of a dominate monster? Uh, Total control over any creature that, uh, that fails the save against the spell. Got it. Look, you win this one, Charlie. You're not a, an angry old guy in a trap having been foiled by those meddling teens and their animal friend, Scooby-Doo. Those teens lose. They can't cast animal friendship on a hook horror, not only because it's a monstrosity, not a beast, but also because they don't have the skills. Isn't that right, Griffin? Teens don't have the skills to dominate monsters. I mean, if they're particularly high-level t- teens, then... I almost said tweens. There's no way there's tweens making it to 15 or 16th level. You know, impatience will get the best of them at some point. What about the wizards of Waverly Place? Those wizards at Waverly Place, there's no way they could dominate a monster. I'm just saying. They could press the digitate. They could make as many odd odors as they would like. They could even heat metal from time to time uh, if they had had a a long rest. But there is no way they could dominate a hook horror. Uh, We'll talk about gelatinous cubes when we come back in just a second. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. It's Judge John Hodgman. We're headed to New York City and Lincoln Center. So I hope that if you are in the New York Metroplex, is that something? The four the four corners of New York City. It's called the Mega City. The Mega City. Mega City <laughs> Look, if, One. If you're anywhere that the Amtrak Acela rolls, we demand that you join us at Lincoln Center for a free Judge John Hodgman in June. Not just merely free, Jesse Thorne, but also outdoors. You know, there's a guy that we hung around with when we were in our 20s here in New York City. We were house-sitting for a friend who had an outdoor deck. So we had some friends over, including this guy, Rana. And we were all sitting around in our 20s. You know, we didn't get to sit around on a, on a rooftop all that often. You know, we didn't have access to rooftops, never mind one that had some chairs on it. And Rana looked around with this look on his face of just sheer delight. And he said, outdoors, outstanding. And it's true. <laughs> never thought it. Being outdoors is outstanding, especially if you live in a city. In New York City, there aren't a lot of outdoor shows you can see. And Lincoln Center's Summer Festival has invited us, the Judge John Hodgman Podcast, to be a part of it in the amphitheater outdoors where they have the circus. And you can go for free? Why wouldn't you? I hope you will. bit.ly slash J-J-H-O Lincoln. Sorry, I had to make one. bit.ly slash J-J-H-O L-I-N-C-O-L-N, all capital letters, all one word. Come join us, won't you? At Lincoln Center for live Judge John Hodgman. Ooh, under the stars, justice under the stars. It will be a blast. Jesse, what do you have got going on? Well, I just want to mention a couple of cool guests uh, that have just appeared or are just upcoming on my interview show, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. Um, a lot of Judge Sean Hodgman listeners have been sending me nice notes that they checked out the show because they heard about it on JJHO, and I am very grateful to them. So uh, this week on the program, uh, interviews with uh, an archive interview with the late Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. An amazing, an amazing guy, a totally fascinating guy and a great interview. Uh, an interview with the Three Busy Debras from the show Three Busy Debras. Have you seen Three Busy Debras, John? <laughs> no, I honestly- Three Busy Debras is no. so funny. It okay. is so funny. Oh, my God. That show is so funny. They're so cool. Uh, and then uh, next week on the show, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey from The Office and Office Ladies. Um, to oh. uh, like total brilliant geniuses and kind, friendly, nice people. And then in coming weeks, John, Tell try me. on for size, uh, the great Claudio Doherty, the hilarious Claudio Doherty, Michael Stipe from a band called Rem. Oh, wow. Uh, and Robin Thede, the creator, showrunner, and star of a black lady sketch show, who's a, a phenomenon. You know Thede what that, you know what that uh, lineup is, Jesse? What's that, John? Stacked. Lineup oh, is yeah. stacked. 
Oh yeah, baby. And it's I've even gotten to when Keith Phipps come on, comes on to talk about Nicolas Cage for an hour. They don't call this uh, radio show wide of the mark. Do you know what no, I mean? They do. They not. don't call this radio show whiff and a miss. <laughs> they call it bullseye. That's when you hit a dart or an arrow right into the center of the target where it counts and get maximum points. You've got your podcast app in your pocket right now. So just pull pull your phone or whatever out and uh, search for Bullseye and hit subscribe right now. Uh, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're addressing Dungeons and Dragons matters with our friend Griffin McElroy of the Adventure Zone. Here is a case Wait, wait, from- Jesse. Jesse, it's, it's me, Judge John Hodgman. I just realized we don't have characters. We're playing this game with Griffin. We don't have characters. So I quickly went to a, a website called fastcharacter.com mm-hmm. that rolls up characters based on some specifications. I put in player name Hodgman. I, I said it should use a random character name. It's going to generate its own name. I am going to be a, of random ancestry slash heritage and of random class. I could be an artificer, art, alchemist, uh, barbarian. I don't know yet. Uh, I'm going to use uh, for me, he, him pronouns. I'm setting myself at level 20, uh, and uh, let's roll it up and see what my character is. Tyne Lutor, rogue 20 arcane trickster with 369,000 experience points. I am, I am dragonborn of the silver dragon line, and my background is charlatan. Jesse, you ready to get your character? Yeah, I guess. Okay, so I had to in, I had to add personality traits in order to roll the character, and my personality traits were judgmental, interested in extinct hockey, and uh, my flaw, my flaw was talks too much and takes up a lot of time during the podcast. What would be your personality trait one? Artsy, artsy. This is tr- like I I saw you dig deep there. Uh, personality trait two. Do you want to pick it yourself, or do you want uh, Jennifer Marmer to pick it for you? She's known you your whole life. Jen and I have known each other for about 20 years. So, Jen, besides artsy, I mean, that's probably my most famous character trait. Mm-hmm. Inquisitive. Hmm. Inquisitive loves tacos. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to just add that. I do love tacos. That's true. And your ideal? What would be your ideal? I put justice down for me. Hmm. Decency? Sure. You could put tacos for that too, if you want. Tacos de cabeza. I'm putting tacos down for bond. I don't know what bond means in this context. Valerie, do you know what bond means? Or it's your favorite bond? It's your favorite bond movie. You're supposed to your favorite bond movie. I put tomorrow never dies for mine, and it made a pretty badass character actually. Yeah. And your flaw, Jesse? Cares too much. Cares too much. Sometimes I work too hard. Okay. <laughs> you are Chalutil. You are a level 20 monk, way wow. of the open hand. You have 365,000, I'll round up, 367,000 experience points. You are also dragonborn, though of the bronze dragon ancestry. And your background is as a hermit. Mm-hmm. Your alignment Neutral. I will help others, but avoid serious personal risks or loyalties that don't benefit me. That's not true. 
That is the only child's creed. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to point out that I accidentally uh, went to fastcharacters.com, which is uh, the plural version of this website and not the correct one. And this this is a firm that does design mascots. And just the top <laughs> sort of characters that they've uh, created here at the top of the page uh, do not instill in me, I would say, great confidence uh, that they would be able to make a mascot for my business uh, that would <laughs> earn me even the uh, amount that I spent on the design of the mascot. We have well, they have got, they have characters like Rich Elephant and Pizza Tiger and Dog holding its own leash. Which I assume is for a dog walking business, but this is a bipedal dog holding a leash, which lets me know that it can probably handle most of the heavy lifting here by itself. It's like those uh, barbecue restaurants where like a pig is holding like a platter of meat to serve. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, I don't want to be confronted uh, with with this vision. If I may continue sending you all random JPEGs that I have captured on my computer, uh, there's three more further down on the page that I love uh, even much more actually than the uh, the top the top cast here. Here yeah, we're looking at them. here we're looking at rack armor, which is a man made out of skyscrapers and buckets. I do believe there's just a strong football player, right? That's one of them is strong football player. And then there is uh, what appears to be a HVAC person whose body mm-hmm. is made out of a furnace, but they have a <laughs> air conditioner hand and a heater hand, and they are wearing a hat with a red cross symbol on it. Also a stethoscope around their neck. And sneakers, red sneakers. So I'm guessing this is a, a business that is literally titled HVAC Doctor. If I was just to guess the name of the business that required uh, this this mascot. Speedy uh, HVAC Doctor, I believe, is the name of the business. Speedy HVAC Docs. These are exceptional. Thank you, fastcharacters.com. And yes, we will feature some of these images on our show page, maximum.org, as well as our Instagram, instagram.com slash Judge John Hodgman. And of course, I'm going to send you these character sheets because there's a lot of information um, and it's really, really fun. I got to know more about Detective Dinosaur that they have on there. Um, <laughs> what possible business could Detective Dinosaur be the representative? Uh, I would have, I'm honestly, I'm going to say it's probably for people who are trying to find oil to drill. Also, why does Detective Dinosaur hold his magnifying glass when it, with his tail when he's got two perfectly good hands? He's also smoking a pipe, which like you don't see a lot of mascots doing anymore for legal reasons. Sure. Yeah. And could you cast animal friendship on any of these? Or do you need to... Well, I mean... Do you need to cast mascot domination? Do you think that that dinosaur has an intelligence score of under four? No, that inte- that dinosaur not only has an intelligence score of 1,000, but also, as Jesse points out, has hands to roll the dice. Yeah. Here's a case from Steven. I'm oh, a longtime oh. dungeon master and have an ongoing debate with my friend Tim. The gelatinous cube is, as the judge knows, a popular monster in D&D. It's essentially a giant quasi-sentient jello cube that consumes anything it touches and dissolves what it has consumed. I've always maintained the cube should grow, given adequate food and time, though that process is not described in the monster manual. Now, place said cube in a limited space such as an indigestible corridor that's 20 feet long, 10 feet tall, and 10 feet wide. The cube is 10 by 10 by 10. I contend, given enough time and food, the cube 
should grow to fill the corridor until it has completely filled the space. Tim maintains the cube never increases in size and that all consumed material is completely dissolved with a total loss of mass. The monster manual is vague on this point. I still think it's fair to make a dungeon that's entirely filled by one huge gelatinous cube. Tim thinks it could only be filled by other gelatinous cubes, but it's also unclear if cubes can eat other cubes. What does that mean? It, it, can a cube eat another cube? I don't know how else to phrase it other than how it has been provided for us here. Can one cube eat, can a, a gelatinous eat another cube? cube? Eat another gelatinous cube? And the answer I, is the the amount of brain power that is gathered here is truly staggering. But I do believe it would require more of a uh, I, more of a scientific level of expertise to discuss the sort of like s- surface tension reactions that would be happening in the in the provided examples. If there is one thing that has just happened on this podcast that has happened, I would argue on almost every episode of this podcast, it is this. I have failed my role for wisdom. <laughs> How big of you to, to admit to that? I, but I do appreciate your animal collegiality, Jesse. Andrew. <laughs> You've really heated my metal. You with really your heated my metal. With your honesty. I, one of the things I remember from that uh, day that I tried to become a dungeon master, a master dungeon master, as it were, was my love for the gelatinous cube. The gelatinous cube is as described hmm, complicatedly by Stephen, but it's very simple. It's a 10 by 10 by 10 foot cube of jello that is clear, and it is one of the original monsters designed by Gary Gygax in the earliest versions of Dungeons and Dragons, the white box set, as they say on the internet. And it was designed to fill what was then a standard dungeon hallway, 10 feet by 10 feet. And if you want it to be a cube, then it's another 10 feet. Here's what I learned about gelatinous cubes, Griffin. Please. As I looked it up. Because I love a gelatinous cube, and I want to see the integrity of the gelatinous cube preserved. This is a legacy. Would you call this a monstrosity? It's not made up of other beasts. No, this is a, gosh, it's more of a plasmoid yeah. situ- situation. No, You're I think right. you could call it a, a, I think you could call it a monster. I would call, no. I would, I, I would call it a monster in a, in a colloquial sense. Yeah. But specifically it belongs to the class of oozes and slimes. Okay. That are the spawn of the demon Lord Jubilex. Jubilex being the dark god of ooze and slime. You're sure it's not Gubilex? It's not Gubilex. In the one website I found that had an extre- extremely detailed description of gelatinous cubes, including one of my favorite subheadings of all time on any wiki, notable gelatinous cubes. There is one notable gelatinous cube, Globagool, the only known sentient gelatinous cube who lived in the underdark sometime in the late 1480s or 1490s. Hey, I'm Cuban here. <laughs> yeah. And the cube just moves along down the corridor, filling up every inch and millimeter of it, stupidly eating anything that comes in its way. And if you get caught in it, it eats you up. And it's got usually got a lot of armor and swords floating around in it. And then it'll get rid of that. I learned that a gelatinous cube uh, reproduces by uh by dividing into two cubes 
it plops off a smaller cube that is usually eight by eight by eight, and then it grows to be ten by ten by ten. But it's so 10 it by can 10 by grow. 10. So it does grow. It does grow, but what, can it exceed ten by ten by ten in a neutral environment? Can it ex- like if it, if it were in a larger cavern, could it get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? They do not experience senescence, mm. much like the lobster. They age pretty much interminably unless they are forcibly killed, hmm. and they do not they do not naturally degrade on a cellular level. But do like the lobster? Do they continue to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? And here's the thing, Stephen, as far as I can tell, is correct. For, through all of the all of the internet research I did about this cube, all of the iterations of its description, through all of the different editions of the monster manual, including one in which it is able to grow a pseudopod, a fake arm to slap you around, and then that t- they took that power back and then they gave it back again, there's no discussion of whether or not a gelatinous cube could grow indefinitely in an unhindered environment. Hmm. What do you think, Griffin? Well, I mean, um, energy can't be created or destroyed, right? Just changed. Um, I I guess one thing I I would need to know to calculate this is, do gelatinous cubes leave behind any kind of residue? They they, they leave a slime. Okay, so they are are reducing in, in mass. As right. they as they just sort of move, move around the world, and as they consume things, I imagine they turn it into more cube stuff. I can only imagine. Then yes, I believe if they do not age and they consume things without you know unchecked, they would continue to grow unchecked. The real question to me is: can they can they become uh, irregular shaped, or at the very least uh, more column like than cube? Yeah, I, I I do know based on my reading that they can ooze through smaller passages. This is important, right? So if they if if a gelatinous cube comes to the terminus of a pass of a ten foot by ten foot passage, they can squeeze through a eight foot by four foot door, but then they will retake their ten foot by ten foot by ten foot shape on the other side, presuming there is space to allow it. So they can they they are mutable in that sense, but would they grow? Would they grow if they ate and ate and ate? Would they grow longer and longer and longer? Much like okay, I said this was a non-explicit podcast, and this isn't explicit. It's just science. Would they grow longer and longer and longer, like a poop in the large intestine? I think yes. I think if you put a gelatinous cube in a ten by ten hallway. And you let it eat and eat and eat and eat. It'll stretch out to fill the the hallway, no longer being in cuboid shape. But if there was some sort of collapse and the ooze then, uh, you know, escapes into a larger environment, I think it would regain its cube form, thereby spreading that additional sort of dimensional growth across all of its uh, axes, uh, thereby wanting to be a, a cube shape again. Here's what I've learned from talking to an actual dungeon master. And from my readings and our discussions and our disputes so far, Griffin, the rule of cool would suggest that a giant gelatinous cube is definitely possible because it's cool. The idea that if you have a hallway that is a hundred feet by a hundred feet in its dimensions and of endless length, that there would be a 100 by 100 by 100 foot gelatinous cube in that hallway. That is amazing to think about. That is totally cool. So in that sense, I agree with Stephen. 
However, a gelatinous cube that is in a 10 foot by 10 foot hallway that gets longer than 10 feet. In other words, it, it grows longer like a poop in a, in a, in a bowel. That is not cool. That is gross. Hmm. In my campaign, that would not be allowed because it's right there in the title, gelatinous cube. It is not a thing that can exist in nature. It's not a gelatinous blob. It's not just an amorphous goo. It wants, as you point out, it wants to be a cube. That's what makes it cool. Of course it wants to be a cube. It wants to be a cube and reforms a cube wherever it is. There's no reason that blob, how does that blob form into a cube? It's like a flat surface. If I had a half, half, a six inch by six inch by six inch gelatinous cube and I squished my hands together on it like that, it would turn into a non-cuboid shape for a moment until I released it. What makes the, what make, and I only realized this now after many, many years from that first day that I tried to become a master dungeon master alone in my room, when I first fell in love with the gelatinous cube to now, decades later, I get it now in part because what I've learned through doing this podcast is in nature, there are very few cubes. True. You got some crystalline forms and then you have wombat poop. Mm-hmm. Other than that, nature doesn't want to make a cube. And I love the fact that this thing is so, un- that what makes this, I thought why I loved the gelatinous cube was that it was called gelatinous cube, which is a silly name and it's jello. But I realize now I really love it for its uncanny cubeness. Mm. And I would defy in my game, anyone who would mess with the cubity or the cubeness of a gelatinous cube. I don't want a gelatinous log, even if it's square shaped. Give me that gelatinous cube. Can it be giant? Yes. Can it stretch down a hallway? Not in my game. But then again, what's cool for me may not be cool for you. Griffin, you love to stretch out that cube is what I hear. Oh, yeah. Hold on, wait, was that long enough? Because I can, oh, yeah. Ow, 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 Griffin, you're writhing with pleasure and you're accidentally e-wedging me. <laughs> That's not accidental, John. I just wanted us to share a moment. Oh, well, <laughs> now I have to reform my my gelatinous self into a human shape. Thank you so much for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast, Griffin. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Sorry I said so much nasty stuff about these cubes. Well, they're, they're cubes of goo. <laughs> it makes sense. Sure. Griffin McElroy is uh, one of the hosts of the Adventure Zone podcast right here at MaximumFun.org, as well as uh, one of the hosts of Wonderful, a podcast that I bet Judge John Hodgman uh, listeners would love to hear about oh, things absolutely. that are great in life. I think that is that is maybe the most natural Judge John Hodgman companion in the Max Fun universe. I Jennifer Marmer and Valerie Moffat and I, Judge John Hodgman, are nodding in agreement yeah. to that. It's a wonderful podcast. A lot of cube talk in that one, so you're gonna you like what you hear. Griffin also dispenses uh, semi advice with his brothers on the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast. All of those shows, wonderful programs. We hope that you will keep in touch with Griffin across the Maximum Fun Network. Griffin McElroy, thanks for joining us. It was a joy to have you. Thank you for having me. I adjourn, I adjourn myself. The docket is clear. That's it for another episode of Judge John Hodgman. Our producer, Jennifer Marmer, our editor, Valerie Moffat. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. We're on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman. 
Make sure to hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets, hashtag JJHO. Check out the Maximum Fun subreddit at MaximumFun.reddit.com to discuss this episode. I'm really excited for people to go on the Instagram, John, and, and see these mascots. <laughs> they're so weird. So plain. It's not even that they're, it's not that they're strange. They're so aggressively, I don't even know. There's something just upsetting about. They're monstrosities. They're monstrosities. It's like when you're watching a movie and, and somebody is on a social media network, but they've changed it just enough. Right, exactly. There, it's, um, it, there is a an uncanny resemblance to something that exists that is not this. Yeah. It's uh, unnerving. <laughs> we are looking for your prom disputes. Look, we'll accept disputes about any formal dance. If you've got homecoming disputes, we'll we'll take those. Even semi-formals. Even quasi-formals. Casuals like the sock hop down at the community center. We are actually getting some really great prom disputes in, but we, we do still need some more. So if you have any disputes surrounding the concept of prom, anything that happened on prom, anything you believe about prom, even just disputes about corsages, anything to do with wearable floral arrangements, let us know. Write us at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. And of course, we don't want to just hear about prom. If you have any kind of dispute, right, Jesse? Big or small. Hit us up. MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. And let us know about your beeves. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.